Okay, I've done a lot of Sundays, but this is the weirdest one ever. One that we weren't prepared for, one that we weren't expecting, but one that I'm proud of our church leadership as they've chosen to respond to it in a significant way. It was Friday morning when the elders realized that the city of Dallas and the county had changed the rules. We had a long phone conversation on Friday, uh, Thursday, Friday afternoon, and came to the conclusion we needed to change our services. Some of you are wondering what we'll do next, and the answer is we don't know. We've got to respond to the circumstances that the Lord sends to us. Hopefully, we will respond in a way that brings glory to our Savior and also um, helps you as a congregation as we all seek to walk through these times. I do have some announcements we need to make. Don't forget, we do have the special missions offering Uh, being taken in this month. We'll keep you updated on how we'll do that. Our goal is to raise $125,000 for special needs for missions, for outreach here in the community, and to send short-term mission trips. We hope that you will keep that in mind, as well as the financial needs of the church, because we will yet be operating. The church offices will be open all week. Our staff will be coming together to see how we might serve you in the coming circumstances. We'll be praying for you and reaching out to you, and so please don't forget that with the church. Presently, March 21st on a Saturday is scheduled a family fishing day, and we'll see if that happens, but keep uh, tied into the church website, and we'll let you know how things go as they change. Uh, many of you know my daughter is serving with Young Life uh, Ministries in Munich, Germany. She was at a conference last week in Hungary. After they left, one member of the conference tested positive for the coronavirus. When she got back, she immediately got sick, as did a number of the other attenders, and she was able to get early testing and discovered she has it as well. So it's clearly highly contagious. They expect that a, a number of the people who attended will have the virus. Fortunately, young life tends to be young, and so they will all do well. Our concern is not just uh, getting sick. Most of us have been sick before. Our concern is that we expose older members and high-risk members uh, through direct or indirect contact and raise the possibility of severe illness or even death. When Young Life uh, first heard about this, a memo went out to them related to the Ebola uh, virus that hit the Africa uh, a couple of years ago. And the African staff of Young Life sent out an email about what they had done. They committed to, for 91 days, pray Psalm 91. And interestingly, on, when they completed the 91st day, it was the same week that the World Health Organization declared that uh, Ebola had been eradicated in Liberia, where it had started. So it seemed appropriate that we would open our prayer today reading from Psalm 91. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Please join me as we pray. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare of the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I'm trusting in Him. For He will rescue you from every trap and will protect you from the fatal plague. He will shield you with his wings. He will shelter you with his feathers. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor fear the dangers of the day, nor dread the plague that stalks in the darkness, 
nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you, but you will see it with your eyes. You will see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your dwelling. For He orders His angels to protect wherever you go. They will hold you with their hands to keep you from striking your foot on a stone. You will trample down lions and poisonous snakes. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. And when they call on me, I will answer, and I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. I will satisfy them with a long life and give them my salvation. Father, we always need to depend on you. We always should place our hope solely on you. But we confess all too often we feel confident in the things around us. We believe our strength and health will hold up, that we'll be able to work, that we'll be able to provide, that we'll have friends, that life will go on, and if we just pray once or twice in the course of a day, everything will be fine. And then every once in a while, you send some calamity that reminds us that just how much we ultimately depend on you. When you take away the props that support us, and all we have is to look in your word and at your face and at our Savior. Father, forgive us that we so quickly forget that you alone hold us up. And Lord, cause us to walk in dependence on you no matter what our circumstances. And especially today, as there's so much that's unknown. In your own prayers, wherever you are, take a few moments to consider God's love and His strength. He loves you enough to care, and He's powerful enough to prepare, protect you. And confess your lack of faith ways in which you depend on other things are the fears that distort your trust in Him. Thank Him for the ways He's blessed you. And tell him the desires of your heart. Pray for the needs of others, especially of those who have exposure physically, financially, in other ways as a result of what's going on around us.
And pray for our missionaries today, today remembering Josh and Lisa Francis that serve with the Flying H Ranch in Washington. Pray for wisdom and faithfulness for Josh as he now is the family service director and pray that God will soften the hearts of seven students who have rejected Christ. Pray for our nation, its leadership, healthcare workers, first responders, Christian leaders, our families, our city, and for this church. Father, we thank you that we're never alone that you are a good, good Father, that your presence is constant. Forgive us that we forget. Forgive us that we place our confidence in things besides you and cause us to be redirected to you in these times. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First, I want to thank those uh, men and women who have come to make this service happen especially elders and deacons, and the worship team who have exposed themselves to all kinds of dreaded things, not counting coronavirus. Um, I was thinking of Brian Piper and me. Um, we're grateful that you've come and ex- allowed yourself to be around us old guys who are dangerous. It's, it's, it's a significant time for our church family. Um, let me assure you that the elders and leadership of the church are taking this incredibly seriously and going to do all that we can to respond to the needs of the church, to provide services, and to care for you no matter what your circumstances. Today I'd like uh, us to turn to a passage in Scripture that I think is particularly appropriate under the circumstances, and that's First Peter chapter 5. Many of you know that the epistle of 1 Peter, we believe, was written by the Apostle Peter. It was written to the church in Asia Minor, and it was written at a time of suffering. It was written to churches that were beginning to fear for their safety, and it was Peter's response of encouraging them how to respond when things become difficult. It's a wonderful book. It's one of my favorites to teach. It's one that I'm teaching in a couple of Bible studies right now, but Chapter 5, verses 6 and following leapt out on the page to me starting Friday as we started thinking about what this service would be about. So first, let me read to you 1 Peter 5, chapter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To Him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Difficulty, hardship, often creates not only anxiety, but interestingly, it creates anger. 
When we come under the pressure of difficulties like this, you often see a society become much more anxious, but also much more angry. And I believe that's because it is an attack on our pride. Suddenly we're reminded that we're not in control. Suddenly we're reminded that circumstances are bigger than us. Certainly we're reminded of how little we can do. Uh, that fits our times today. We are sitting in a situation that no matter how we feel about coronavirus, governments and other officials, our work, our churches, everything are having to make decisions that we may or may not agree with. And many are responding in ang anger, I believe, because it attacks our pride. See, our pride convinces us that we're yet in control. So when Peter starts this section to summarize the book, he calls us to humble ourselves. When we're reminded that we're not in control, it's a lot easier than rather than continue fighting it. We accept that God is. Humble yourselves. Accept that at the end of the day, there's not a lot we can do about a lot of the circumstances in our lives. But fortunately, it doesn't end there. It's humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Uh, because it's a reminder that government and churches and officials also aren't under control. That God ultimately is. So that the reminder is to humble ourselves because ultimately God is in control. He's sovereign and he works through affairs, even those that are evil, to ultimately accomplish good no matter how bad they appear at the time. I've always loved the visual image of this verse. Hold, humble yourself under God's mighty hand. Why hand? I suspect most of you can remember your father's hands. Most of you, when you think of your father, can remember whether he had the hands of a professional worker or the hands of a laborer. My father started supporting himself when he was a child. His Mother's third husband walked out as the two previous ones had, and they were left in a circumstance where if he didn't go to work at 13, they wouldn't eat. Consequently, he, one of his early jobs was working for the newspaper in Arkansas, and because they didn't have OSHA then, he was trying to fix one of the printing press equipment and lost the end of one of his, his index fingers. So when I think of my father's hands, one of the first things I think of is a reminder of the price he had paid because of the circumstances under which he grew. But over time, he had worked with his hands doing electrical work all his life. Arthritis had taken its toll. His fingers were crooked and bent. And when he worked on things, you could see the physical pain. When I think of my father's hands, I think of a man who paid a huge price to care for those he loved. When you think of the hand of God, what do you think of? Obviously, he doesn't have physical hands in the sense that my father and your father did, but his hands represent not only his strength, but that which he represent, reaches out to us to meet our needs. The hand of God is over us in protection. The hand of God reaches out to us in compassion. The hand of God touches us in the midst of our pain. So when he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, he's reminding us to humble ourselves, uh, to place ourselves under his protection, under his providence, and under his love. 
but he doesn't end there. Because in his good time, he will lift us up. Hard times beat us down. In fact, you can almost tell when things are difficult during recessions or economic difficulty and other things. We almost change our posture as we carry the weight of life on us. You go to parts of the world where there's incredible suffering and there is not the same strong stature in many of those worlds that there is here because people literally carry the pain on their backs. Peter says, when you humble yourselves under God's mighty hands, He'll lift you up in due time. He'll straighten your back. He'll respond to your need. And so, uh, Peter, as the Bible always does, brings us back to the very character of God. And there are two aspects of God's character that are important when things are hard. The first one is that He is powerful enough to make a difference, that there is nothing so great that He can't intervene for good. But the second one is not only that He cares, or that it is all-powerful, but that also He cares enough that He will intervene in the lives of those He loves. A number of years ago, I taught a men's Bible study long before I even came to Grace, and, and one year they asked me what, to, what verse of Scripture I wanted to be a reminder of our time together, and they gave me a plaque. I don't even know where the plaque is. But I remember the two verses of Scripture I asked them to put on it. Isaiah 40, verses 10 and 11. The sovereign Lord is coming in all His glorious power. He will rule with awesome strength. He brings His reward with Him as He comes. He will feed His flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in His arms, holding them close to His heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. When the prophet Isaiah was describing the character of God as it related to the rescuing of His own people, the nation of Israel, he took two metaphors to describe two facets of who God is. One is the incredible warrior, a warrior who could win any battles because of the power and strength in His arms, but also is the tender shepherd who reaches out to the lamb and protects the mother sheep. If your view of God emphasizes one of those but de-emphasizes the other, then it's not adequate. And you, and you will not have the, the underpinnings you need in order to walk through difficult times. Uh, A.W. Tozer famously said, the most significant thing a person thinks is what they think of when they think of God. And when we think of God, especially in difficult times, but quite frankly all the time, the first thing we should realize is that His character is what gives us confidence, not our circumstances. And the prophet Isaiah and the, the apostle Peter both make the point that the God who we worship is so powerful that nothing nothing escapes his reach. No problem is so great that he can't intervene. But he also, also loves each person in a singular way. He cares about the lamb, the mother sheep. He cares about people. I've told before I had an uncle Irenus in the great city of Malakoff. And Irenus had sheep 
He also had a working outhouse with a Sears catalog. Um, now, what is a working catalog, uh, outhouse? It's one that has a catalog in it. If it had no catalog, it wouldn't be working. Um, and it was my first exposure to sheep up close and personal. They're really dumb, helpless, smelly animals. Those pictures that ladies like the great Shirley Bryan would have in her office of beautiful little sheep sweetly standing there all white and fluffy and, and that, that's nothing like reality. These are very dumb animals that without help end up in bad places. And in some ways that's appropriate that God in Isaiah describes us as sheep because in reality calamity reminds us just how weak and ugly we can be. But God loves all his sheep. He loves the ones that others don't notice. Jesus told the parable of the shepherd who left the 99 sheep to go find the one. He reached out his hands in love to a group of men and women in the first century that weren't always likable. One of my pastor friends said, don't forget, Wildman, when you pastor, sheep bite. And the fact of the matter is that the people that Jesus came to love and still loves among us are people like us, broken and weak and sometimes difficult to love. But no matter what the circumstances, we are always loved by God. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand, and He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. He loves you. This is one of those times that tests whether we believe that Jesus really loves us or not. We sing, Jesus loves me. It's a part of uh, all of our individual creeds. It's part of the foundation of the Christian faith. But when things get hard, one of the things we sometimes ask is, Lord, do you care? Peter struggled with that trust. He denied Christ himself. But Jesus reassured him of his love, and Peter consequently responded with love as well. Difficult times are times when we learn to trust and obey. The question we have as a church, will we trust God completely? And we make the decision of trust to obey Him thoroughly. Verse 8 continues in his instruction, be alert and of sober mind. Um, keep sharp. Uh, trust does not mean that, that we all go to bed and we turn on the TV and forgot, forget about our circumstances. In fact, yeah, quite the opposite. He says, because things are hard, be alert, be sober, be concentrated. Why? Because you have an enemy, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Uh, circumstances like these are times when vulnerable people pay huge prices. We have people in our congregation who are vulnerable physically. They're older. They have other health problems. And, and the fear of these circumstances can be devastating. Uh, there are vulnerable people in our congregation financially. Uh, they work hourly. They will not get paid if their company shuts down. 
and their fear can become overwhelming. And Satan loves to to prowl among us, seeking whom he may devour, seeking whom he can take down as a result of those circumstances. The reality is that we are foolish if we don't take that seriously. And let me remind you, you don't have to do it alone. The leaders of grace, both staff, lay, and boards, are deeply committed to this church serving your needs. Uh, The staff will be meeting this week to discuss, discuss how can we support people through phone calls, through small group meetings. If you have a need, if, if you are sick and at home and can't get out the way my daughter is quarantined in Germany, we will have people bring you food. And if you're healthy and strong and want to help, let us know so that we can use your strength to serve others who are in difficult times. This tomorrow we'll be setting up ways to keep up with that because the reality is that we will have some who are in particular danger. It's a, it's a time when you lean into the church family because it's a time when you're reminded that we're all here together. Proverbs 22, 3 says, the prudent sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. We're seeking to be prudent given the circumstances and to respond to each other in true support. Verse 9 continues the issue of, the, of Satan. It says, resist him, standing firm in the faith. Every once in a while, somebody will get so uptight about the Satan that they become fearful of him. Scripture does not say, be fearful of Satan. Instead, it says to resist him. Not based on your own strength, but based on your faith in God. And notice the next thing, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. There's another temptation that occurs when things get hard, and that is to become so self-focused that we neglect others around us, to become so caught up in our own fear that we, we, we think it's okay to neglect the needs of others. But Peter says, don't forget, you're not the only one. Believers around the world are in these times of difficulty. That's why we as a church will seek to respond. Uh, Lucas Rogers on our staff had a great idea. He's in a neighborhood where there are many older people, many of whom who are fearful of going outside, even to go to grocery shopping. So he went knocking on doors and said, uh, by the way, we live down the street. We're fairly new. If we can help you in some way, we'd love to. If we can pick up groceries for you, if we can do something else, we'd love to use this opportunity to do it. Ironically, our challenge with our outreach campaign is to go out and meet your neighbors. And what better way this month to go out and meet your neighbors, to go knock on doors, especially those who are older and high risk, and say, I'd love to help you if there's any way I can. Just because we're all in this together. This is an opportunity to serve others financially. It's an opportunity to serve others according to their basic needs. It's also an opportunity to encourage each other emotionally. I'm not a big fan of the social media. I'm old enough to have the right to dislike it. And when I type on a phone, I confuse even the spell check. However, what a great thing to have today. It's a way that we can reach out to people around us, keep in touch with other people. We'll be encouraging the leaders in church ministries to reach out to those in their 
uh, in the congregation with whom they work. If you're in a community group, get in touch with those people. If you're in an adult Bible class, don't neglect to love on those people. This is a time when we can keep informed with each other and what's going on and, and support each other and stand together so that we can face what's going on. Because there will be suffering. There will be suffering. There will be hardship. Even, even if, and I don't believe this is true, even if the virus was nothing, the number of people who are going to be impacted financially is overwhelming. I've talked to one young family this week, and they're fearful that their industry is going to cut them back, and they're already exposed financially. It will be devastating to them. Is that a spiritual thing? Is it part of our faith to help other people? In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable and he's verse 34, the king will say to those on the right, come, you are blessed by the Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Then Jesus says something that I think is amazing, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Uh, while that passage may have uh, certain immediate applications of time in the last days, certainly its application is real that even today, when we serve the needs of others, Jesus counts it as if we're serving Him. Because he identifies with all of us when we're hurting. The reality is that somehow in the Lord's economy, when we respond to the hurts of others, Jesus counts it as an act of love to him. Verse 10. Peter concludes the paragraph and says, Of the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you had suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. It's the God of all grace who gives us strength. The reality is that we may try to muscle up strength and confidence in and of ourselves, but ultimately most of us will hit that wall someday where a life circumstances become so significant that we realize we're over our heads, we're out of our depth. We no longer can handle the circumstances alone. Most of us at some point in our lives will hit an experience which we know without a shadow of a doubt we're not capable to respond adequately. And in that sense, difficulties are a blessing because difficulties teach us to look to the God of all grace who gives us strength. Hardship is one of God's greatest tutors to remind us that we never were really in control anyway. Running into difficulties that we can't handle is one of the most powerful ways that God whispers in our ear, you can't do it, but I can. Because after you've suffered a little while, He'll restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast.
Jesus talking to his disciples in John chapter 16 has, has spoken of the coming Holy Spirit. And, and literally in John 14 and John 16, he says one of the craziest things he says. And he says a lot of crazy things. One of the things he says in that passage is that it's better for you if I leave so that the comforter will come. I still struggle with that. It's just hard for me to fully accept that Jesus' presence wouldn't be better than the Holy Spirit. So that's a reflection of how little confidence I have in the Holy Spirit. But in the middle of all of that, Jesus has told his disciples that he's soon going to leave. And they will be left without his presence and without his immediate power. And they know intuitively that the Jewish leaders as well as the Roman government will not be supportive of what goes on. And at the end of it says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And that's where we started, isn't it? In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This is a time of trouble. Some would say life is trouble, but there are, there are certain times in our lives when we face troubles in a unique way. There are those times in society and our circumstances where the trouble becomes so big that we can't stop thinking of it. And the Apostle Peter, the prophet Isaiah, and Jesus himself have the same message, no matter what that is. And the message is, place your hope in him. There will be trouble. We can pray Psalm 91, but that doesn't ensure that none of us will get sick. We can pray Psalm 91 and stand together, but that doesn't guarantee uh, that none of us will die. We will all die if the Lord doesn't return. But what we can be reminded of is that He's in control. And He has overcome the world. And He has a plan that will ultimately remove the heartache and sadness in the world in which we live. So this is a test. It's a test of those who call ourselves followers of Christ. It, it, it asks us the question, what does faith look like when it's harder to trust? How do we respond when anxiety is real? And, and what do we do when there's fear all around us? We trust Christ. We humble ourselves under God's mighty hand because in due time, He'll lift us up. We cast all our anxiety on Him. Why? Because we know He cares for us. Our challenge as followers of Christ at Grace Bible Church in Dallas, Texas on this day is that we demonstrate to the world around us what it is not to be strong but to depend on the one who is but because our actions and our words will show what we really think of Him. So please pray with me. Father, we confess that it's easy for us to forget. It's easy for us to stray when things are hard. Lord, I pray today that You would increase our faith, that You would calm our hearts, and that you would make us strong 
so that we would not only live better in these trying times, but represent you well to a world that desperately needs to see what trusting you looks like. It's in Christ's name. Amen.